Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are 1,404 coaches and assistant coaches in men's Division I college basketball. 1,404. Get all, get all of them in there. Only one of them is a woman. And she is this week's guest on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I am so excited. She's coming up in a few minutes. But first, Darlene, my girl, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thank you, Darlene. Man, we all play to our strengths. That is definitely your strength. Uh, This week's guest on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, her name is Adnesha Curry. She goes by Coach Eddie. Um, I just think she's so dynamic. She's fantastic. She's the assistant coach for the University of Maine men's basketball team. Her journey is very unique. We're going to get into that with her in a few minutes. But first, Bruce, my trusted sidekick and producer extraordinaire, We've got to discuss game four of the WNBA finals that went down on Tuesday night. Bruce, where do we start? On the opening tip, it was 2 nothing off a layup before anyone even caught their breath. Monica, what did you think? Man, I, I thought that we saw what LaChina Robinson was talking about when she hopped on the pod with us in terms of the grittiness of the Connecticut Sun. I could never take that away from them. At points, I thought that my prediction was about to be accurate in that I really felt like the Mystics were showing that they were the team that had championship experience, that was the home to the MVP, and they were going to pull this thing out. But down the stretch, a couple decisions stand out in my mind as not the greatest on the Mystics side in terms of offense, but I can take nothing away from the grit, the discipline, the grind that the Connecticut Sun showed, whether it was Alyssa Thomas free throws with ripped up labrums. I had a partially ripped up ripped labrum. So I know that that's not a joke. Or even for me, the captain, the leader, the general commander, whatever name you want to give her, and Jasmine Thomas. I thought she had a big game. The way that Connecticut kind of jumped out of the gate last night, really, I thought set the tone. I mean, I mentioned the layup off the opening tip a few minutes ago. But I mean, in the first quarter, they were just Alyssa Thomas was just amazing. I mean, she was dropping dimes. She was getting buckets. She was making free throws, as you said. And, you know, it was really kind of a, a, a almost a game between Connecticut starters and Washington's bench. Um, and that first quarter, I mean, in every single game, it's kind of been the same story. I mean, it's, you know, the, 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 the team that, that's ahead after the first quarter usually holds the other team to 17 points. That's how it's been in every game. And it's been like a 10, 12, 13 point lead. So, you know, I think, you know, in game five on Thursday night, I think we might actually know who's going to win after one quarter if it's like that again. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I mean, you've got to look at the trends of this series and you're spot on. I think if you are not paying close attention, the scores at the half can be very deceiving. I'll even admit that I probably was a little bit swayed by that because to me it appeared that the Mystics initially legit might be a 13-point better opponent at points because of the way that they opened up the series. But you see through the ebbs and flows, I do think if the game five obviously is in D.C., I don't know how much of a disadvantage the Connecticut Sun would be at in D.C., with Elena Deladon, Ariel Atkins, Natasha Cloud, who is essentially guaranteed a victory, which Courtney Williams retweeted and said, we'll see. Um, I think home court advantage is going to be a big deal 
for this game five. So I don't know that the Sun can afford to be in that position again at halftime of game five. No, I mean, you know, they they were able to kind of, you know, hold their lead up up to halftime. It was like 56-40 at halftime. And the thing that was, you know, that one of the, un, you know, kind of under radar performers I thought last night was Natisha Heideman. I mean, she came off the bench in the first half. She had like eight points in like six minutes. I don't think you're going to see that again. I mean, as good as she is as a rookie, I don't think you're going to see that. And one of the things that I thought was so impressive at, at the end of the game, I thought, you know, Connecticut starters, all five of them were in double figures. And here were their point totals. 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. That's what their starters had. I mean, can you be more balanced, you know, with your starting lineup than that? But again, I just got this feeling that Thursday night, it's going to be a much different story. You know, I think the crowd's going to really be behind the Mystics. And, you know, Deladon, you know, again, she gave him what she had. I thought Misaman was kind of a no-show in the first half, and so was uh, Christy Tolliver. But they both, you know, uh, particularly Misaman in the second half came alive. And I think she'll probably continue that on Thursday. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Emma Misaman. Okay, first I want to rewind. I think the balance that you see for Connecticut has been what they've owned all season long, especially with that disrespect campaign. You've got the highlight of Jasmine Thomas literally sitting on set in Connecticut at ESPN, the analyst next to her points out that they have no stars. And it becomes their mantra all year long, which I think is brilliant. I would put their second to the Mystics, who is running back. I just run it back. I mean, could it get any better than that? Run it back. It's so simple. Um, but I think that balance is what has gotten them here. They truly do not care, pay attention to who is the hot hand. At points this season, it was Shakina Strickland who came in shooting lights out. Obviously, we know Courtney Williams can get, can get off. John Quill Jones led the league at points and rebounding um, as, and was up there top 10 in scoring. In addition to that, obviously, Alyssa Thomas is largely an, a key cog to the engine of what they do. And then you've got someone like Natisha Heidemann, who at the beginning of the season was sort of bouncing around in the league, having just graduated from Marquette. And so she goes in and plays very valuable minutes. On the other end, I will give Coach Tebow some credit because Game four was the most minutes, I believe, that Shatori Walker-Kimbrough had played as well. And I thought she did a good job in spots defending Courtney Williams, um, hitting some timely shots as well, and showing why she was a champion at Maryland. So, again, it comes down to the coaching. I think the coaching is fantastic, but I'm inclined to agree with you. The Mystics were my pick all the way through. If Elena Deladon is healthy, I'll take – I'll even take 50% of Elena at home. But if she can stay loose – I think yesterday we saw was very different from game three and game three. She largely stayed on the perimeter yesterday. She was getting on that block, mixing it up, involved in some rebounding. I know a couple of times she hit the deck and I was kind of holding my own breath personally, but I think if we get that Elena back and I think the mystics have to remember that they have Elena down the stretch in the fourth quarter. I don't, I want to say at this point, it was still a three point game. It might've been a two point game. I don't remember Bruce, but Natasha, Oh, God. Cloud. Why? I was like, why can't I think of Natasha's last name? And I love Natasha Cloud. I think you heard her mic'd up last night. She's definitely a part of the heart of this Mystics team. But she opted to take Jasmine Thomas to the rim. If she had just given it a beat, Elena Deladon was in front of her going to the block and had Courtney Williams guarding her in a pivotal moment. I think at, at one point, and I get it, Ariel Atkins was open for this three, but literally the team swung the ball in the opposite direction of your MVP. And it wasn't as if she was being face guarded. Cause when they showed the replay, I was like, why didn't they go to Elena? Shakina Strickland, I believe was probably about two feet off the off of Elena Deladon. Now granted defensive rotations are fine, but make the team have checked their defensive rotation. Don't just assume that we're face guarding Elena, go to Elena and the rest of y'all crash the boards. Now to the original point, Emma Miesemann in the first half, when Emma has to work for her shot, she's not at her best. And anytime she draws a defensive matchup with JJ, it's just a lot of work on the other side of the ball. And I think it's taxing for her offensively. She's at her best when she can catch a shoot, catching one dribble, catching two steps into her move. Like she's not a guy that is fumbling around with the ball a lot. She's very efficient. So having said all that, remember that you've got Elena Deladon on your team. Find Emma Miesemann in her spots. Keep Connecticut off the glass. I think the Mystics bring it home.
Yeah, I think so too. And uh, it's been a really fun series to watch. I think it's been great for the WNBA and, and uh, you know, the, I think one of the things, I think ESPN has done a really good job covering it too. I love the way they've got everybody mic'd up. It really brings you right into the action and, and, just the, the the personalities of some of these players have really come through because that's I think that's one of the keys to help kind of building the popularity of the game amongst people that maybe are the quote unquote casual viewers. All right, game five is tonight, Monica. Who do you have? Game five, Thursday night, twenty nineteen, WNBA champion on the line. I'm taking the Mystics. I'm sticking with it. I think we're just shy of ninety points total. For the ball game, and I think the Mystics show off and show out. Emma Mixman with another 20-pointer. Elena Deladon comes up big. I actually got Ariel Atkins as a potential X factor in this one. I'm with you there. Uh, I I believe that Washington wins Game Five. I think they're going to just wear Connecticut down. Uh, Tuesday night, their bench outscored Connecticut 39-10. I think we can look for a little bit more from their depth, and uh, you know. They'll be wearing the crown in Washington. We will find out shortly. It's been a tremendous WNBA season either way. Um, thanks to our W guests that have been on. Hopefully we can get a hold of the commissioner. We're super excited. But that's enough about what ifs. Here's what we got. Anisha Curry, Coach Eddie, the single, single, yes, the single women, woman, the singular woman <laughs> that is an assistant coach on the men's division one basketball side. We had an epic conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Coming up, Coach Eddie. That was dope. All right, today's guest is a very unique individual on so many different fronts. Coach Eddie is what she goes by. She is Ednisha Curry and she's not yet quite a household name, but I promise you soon, Coach Eddie's going to be all the talk. Um, she is the only full-time female assistant coach at a men's one division one school. Yes, I did not make a mistake. Yeah. A men's division one school, and she's the only one. Um, coach Eddie and Nisha's journey to get to this point is one of the most unique things about her. Just a little bit, she played in college, the WNBA, and overseas. She has worked in player development and scouting. She coached and taught in Vietnam and China, worked in global marketing for Adidas, so she was on the curve before the Yeezy boost was probably fire, worked with the NBA assistant coaches program at the Draft Combine and the G League Soak Showcase. Sis, my goodness, what have you not done? And welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You got to be diverse. You got to be diverse. It's important to the journey. It absolutely is. So let's rewind because we met in Chicago at the Combine this year. And yes. I was like, I recognize this face, but I'm not 100% sure. This is a WNBA player from some point in my like career of watching the WNBA as a kid. Well, before it was a career. Um, <laughs> but I did not know. I had vaguely heard about this woman that was on the staff at Maine, but I didn't really know much about it. So take us back to you joining, I don't know, Adnisha, where do we start? Joining the staff at Maine or even wanting to get into coaching? Oh, wow. Well, I'll just start with that, you know, wanting to join, get, in, get into coaching. It was something that I didn't want to do at first. And, you know, we all have coaches and, and mentors and that kind of guide us. And my former college coach, Coach Michael Abraham, had already had said, you know, you were born to coach. And I fought it for years. I was like, oh, I don't want to deal with it, you know. But every summer I found myself coming back, you know, during off seasons, always kind of volunteering. I always thought coaching was like, okay, I'm just going to volunteer. I hate to, I'm going to help the kids out, be a mentor and leader in that aspect of it. But I never thought of it as a career. But then the years kept going and I started getting really good at it. And I started liking it myself. And then I was like, okay, I kind of low key like this, but I really wasn't trying to like jump out there yet. So when I retired, um, I went to global marketing, like you said, with Adidas. And I still was like coaching, you know, AAU and, and things like that. And I was like, I just want to coach. And I kind of, once I decided and I bought into what everybody else, my mentors, former coaches already felt that I was really good at and born to do, it was like, 
wherever you want me to coach, I'll coach. And my first journey was coaching in the Middle East and Israel. And then from there, um, I went to China and then Vietnam. And when I was in all these countries, you know, a lot of people didn't know, like, I was developing basketball, you know, coaching men, coaching women, coaching girls, coaching young boys. Like, I was coaching every gender gender in those countries. So it wasn't a big deal to me to come here. And it's like, oh, she's coaching men now. But, like, I'm like, I've been doing that. Like, I've just been coaching. But it wasn't, you know, in those countries, it didn't seem anything wrong with having a star, you know, basketball player, college and former WNBA player come help us you know, learn basketball. And I was at home, you know, you know, and just in Vietnam at home. And I kind of got a call from Gannon Baker and he said, do you want to come home? And I'm like, okay, where do you want me to coach at? And he was like, there's an opportunity at the University of Maine. The women's head coach needs a player development scout video person. I'm like, okay, I'll think about it. And he's like, when do you want to go? Yes, no. He's kind of pushing me, and I'm like, uh, do I want to leave Vietnam to go to Maine? I don't like cold weather. So I just basically said, okay, I'll take the call and go from there. And I actually had a great Skype interview um, with Coach Barron, you know, over Skype with his head coach, um, associate head coach, Amy Vashon. And I said yes the next day, and 27 hours later, um, I was starting my first coaching gig as a women's assistant basketball coach for the University of Maine. This then was from there. Okay. Yeah, come on. That come was on. that was like wow. When was that? 2016. 2016. So I started that journey. 2016. Um, two years on that staff. Um, my father took ill, and. Coach Barron, at that same time, he had a health issue, and he took a, he, he stepped away. So we stepped away. 2016 and 17 season was my last season. So 2015 and 17, I was with the women's staff. The year that I took off, 2017-18 um, season, I took off, and – just walked away. I didn't really have a direction I was going, you know, I was just like, I need a break. Cause I wasn't still quite bought into, okay, this is going to be my lifelong career, you know, and the time away, spending time with family and, and um, being around it and kind of taking a break. I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? And I was literally teaching at a high school and an athletic director um, leading the girls' high school program, and I, I absolutely loved it. You know, I was back around the kids every day, and every blue moon I would get a call from Coach Barron. Oh, how are you doing? What are you doing? Da, da, da. And I was like, oh, I'm just coaching. He would laugh. He's like, oh, I see you're back coaching. He was always kind of checking on me every blue moon. And then Rusha Brown, another former WNBA player, just literally said, hey, it's this program called the NBA ACP program, and they develop a program to get former WNBA and NBA players to coach in a league. And she's like, I think you would be good. That literally was my transition to men's basketball. Signed up for the program. I got in the program. Three weeks later, I'm literally, everyone's like, yo, you're on NBA TV. What? You're coaching you're coaching next to Jerry Stackhouse. That's literally how it started, and it grew from there. And then the next year, getting ready to the next year, my second season at the end of that year, Coach Barron got this job um, on the men's side. And I called and congratulated him, and he said, oh, I appreciate it, appreciate it. The next day, he literally called me, Remember, I was walked out of my PE class, 8.30 in the morning. He calls me to offer me the job, and I say yes on the spot. And I'm here now, second and so, season. And you are there now in your second season. Wow. Talk about, I don't want to say fortuitous bounces. I will say right time, right place. But then it also sounds like the relationships that you built as a player were paramount 
as you transition into the next space, I mean, you got Rusha, who is fantastic. Shout out to Rusha, love her, um, who tips you off about this program. Obviously, your network at Maine was fantastic. Did you, you said that you agreed to join on the spot. Did you take a second to think about the implications or I, I guess implications is the wrong word. I'd rather, I'd say the ripple effect in American sports, because your experience obviously was you was coaching basketball with basketball players, period, abroad. But here, it is still something that we praise, but it is considered outside of the norm. So when did you take a moment to say, hey, I'm one of very few women that have ever done this and, and, and am currently the only woman that's on a men's staff in Division One college basketball? Honestly, I had no thought of that. I didn't think about that at all. I didn't think about it until coach had brought up, okay, don't tell anybody. We have to be very strategic in how we announce you. I'm like, strategic? You know, because he said you're going to be the only one. Basically, and then that's when I'm like, okay. And then that's when I started like, reading up more on the history and finding, you know, um, other women that did it before me. Um, and then that's when it was like, okay, this is really a big deal. <laughs> okay. And then after that, I was like, okay, I have to, you know, really think about this. And, but I still felt the same. I was like, okay, it's a big deal to everybody else, but it still really wasn't a big deal to me. Like, I didn't, I really didn't even think about it. Like, okay, you want me to coach? Okay, who am I coaching? I've always had that attitude. So I know it's a big deal. I'm very appreciative of it. I understand the platform that I have. I love it. Um, I look to inspire and grow, grow, grow more women and more young women and, and just bring light to just young boys and men getting comfortable um, being led by a woman. So I'm honored for it, but when it first happened, it really, I was like, okay, I'm coaching. When's the practice? What are we doing? That was it for me. I get it. Let's let's get the balls out. Let's get your sneakers tied up. It's time to go. Like, we don't have time for nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. <laughs> so look, let me ask you this on a logistical level in terms of the locker room. It's funny. When I have these conversations with people, and I'm not even going to put it all on just men. I think there's a still women out there. And I understand this thought process, particularly in African-American communities. They want their sons to see strong men and have examples. I get it. I totally understand that. I also think that there's power in saying a strong female as an example as well. Another conversation, maybe for later in the pod, maybe for another day. But I have heard simple things from parents like, well, how does that work for the locker room? How does that work on travel? Like, do we have to make special adjustments? Day to day, how often do you feel like there are special adjustments made because you're a female coaching a men's team? There's no adjustments made. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing as if that parent had had a young woman coaching on the, uh, playing on the women's basketball team and their head coach happened to be male, a man, before that head coach goes in the locker room, he knocks on the locker room door and says, coach comes in, coach is coming in, everybody dressed. The same thing they have to do on, on that side when it's another gender coaching them is the same thing I have to do. That's it. You know, on the road, you know, just like in women's basketball, there may be one male head coach, you know, or two on a staff to 30 women players including staff and support staff it's just the opposite for me we're all on the same bus we travel on the same planes only difference is just like that male coach would have a, his own separate locker room and not dress with the women I have my own locker room and I'm not going to dress with the men there's no adjustment I think people make it out to be something that it's not when they don't think about the other side has been doing this for years men coaching women the world is used to adjusting to them. The problem is the world is not a used, to, used to adjusting to a woman in this position. And that's the real problem. And the world is used to seeing or, or already thinking of something negative when a woman is put in that position. And it makes you think, wow, you don't even think anything negative when it can be one man in a locker room with all women. 
you're not going to think anything wrong with that. It's just twisted. And I have to tell people, I'm like, what's the difference? And then when I put it to people like that, they're like, you're so right. Duh. Like, what's the difference? I just flip-flopped. <laughs> and my hey, guys Co don't care. <laughs> Coach Eddie, this is Bruce. I was just curious about, are there certain ways that male players kind of try and test you that maybe some of the female players that you coached never really tried or any subtle little things like that? No, that just sounds like a typical gender question. They don't. <laughs> it is. It, it's, a, it's a typical, like, it, it's a shame that we still are asking those questions because we should not be looking at it as a, a male player is going to test a woman versus a woman play a women's player is not going to test a, a woman's coach. If a player has that in their character, no matter what gender they are, if they want to, they have that flaw that they're going to test you or whatever. It doesn't matter what gender you are. They're going to test you. If they're going to be, that's who they are as a person, and that's the problem. We can't look at it as okay, that's just who they are. It didn't matter who if that was a male coach or a female coach, because again, on the women's side. There are male coaches coaching women and getting tested by women every single day. And if it was a woman coach coaching that gender, it's the same thing. You know, I see, I see certain players test certain male coaches and they don't even test me. I'm like, don't, <laughs> I'm not the one. That's, that's on the run. I'm exactly. not the one. You know, I'm not the one. Mo Monica, you know, I'm not uh -huh. the one. Don't come over here with that. Uh -huh. not, not today. I give. I have to go back and give them the look. You know the look, Monica. Yeah, absolutely. Like, come over here if you want today. This will not, not be the day. Don't give me the look. Don't give me the look, Coach Eddie. I didn't mean anything. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually it's, it's actually a good question because I mean it's so it's so easy for us to ask those questions and put it right into like male versus women and against each other and i just want us to start changing the narrative and changing the way we ask these questions that it's just player to player mm. player to coach that's I'm what it sorry. should be about it should just be player to coach like hey coach have you had any bad experiences with a player yes have i had a good one yes that's it once we change the narrative of how we're talking about it you will go into women's basketball practices and look at some players and like whoa okay she has some growing up. You'll go into men's practice and see see some players going at some men coaches. You'll be like, okay, he needs to grow up. It doesn't matter. It, it's really a character and growth. And once we change those questions, then it wouldn't be like so, so like, oh, it's a woman coaching men. <laughs> so okay, wait, hold on, coach, because I hear you, right? And yes, the way that we cover acknowledge teach all of that probably could use some growth but in this moment it is still something to be celebrated like you still putting on like you're opening doors you're opening eyes you're changing mindsets we would be remiss if we didn't celebrate what you've accomplished i do i i greatly appreciate it and i'm not saying i'm not celebrating but in this journey to celebrating i want us to start changing the narrative so the next person after me is getting better questions and, 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 and her story is changing. I don't want my story always to be about I'm the only woman. I'm more than that. I'm a basketball coach. I wouldn't be here if I could not coach the University of Men's basketball players. It, didn't, it wouldn't matter if I was a male or female. I'm here because I have skills as a coach. And I was hired by a coach that had the guts to say, look, I don't care what color, race, anything she or he is, I am hiring the best people for my staff. I want my story to transition to that. I don't want my story always to be celebrated that I'm the only one. Okay, that's old. Let's move to talking about, okay, this sister right here, she is the only one, but you know what? Why is she the only one? There's a reason that she's the only one. And it was a reason why all the other women before me were the only one. It's because we were really great basketball coaches. And it happened to be some men that have the courage to say, you know what? 
I'm going to hire my best staff. And the best person for my staff happens to be a woman. What has to happen before we see more of you on the collegiate level? Because this summer has probably been historic in terms of what we're seeing on the pro level. But what has to happen on the NCAA ranks, you think? The, the NCAA is a long way from it. You know, it is. It, it's going to be a while um, because the NCAA is very old school, you know, and the thinking and, and, you know, the locker room and gender. It, I mean, it, it really takes it takes courage for someone to be like, you know what, I'm just tired of best people, you know. And you got to remember, unlike the NBA, the NCAA, you got you got the president who's in the eighties ear and the eighties and the head coaching. It's so many levels of bias that you have to break through in old school thought that you gotta break through to even get down to the part where women get opportunity in the NCAA. It's just a lot of barriers in people and what people don't know, the NCAA is is really male dominated. You know, from ADs and presidents and decision makers, it's a lot of men. You know that you're you you know are breaking through to try to make this decision. Unlike you know, the commissioner in the NBA, he's like, okay, I have 30 teams. Look, I'm tired of it. I want diverse hiring. I want my basketball in the NBA on every level from business to on the court, I want it to look like the world. I don't want to see all men because that's not the world. You know, we, there's a ton of qualified women in this world that can do the job. Start looking at everybody, look at everybody, the best people, period, regardless of gender. That's him talking to 30 teams. Who in the NCAA is going to do that mm. and talk to, is going to talk to 351, let's just say just Division One, 351 Division One teams. 351 ADs, presidents, boosters. That's a lot. Hmm. So that's why it, it, I'm not saying it's not ever going to happen, but that's why it's just not that transition like, you know, the NBA. You know, 30, 351, that's just Division One. Division two, division three, and it's it's just a lot. It's just a whole different monster. So, coach, you've been all over the world coaching. You mentioned Israel, Palestinian territories, Vietnam, China. What what did you learn most that made you a better coach as a result of your sort of exposure to different cultures around the world? Understanding. You gotta understand and you and, and you gotta be able to communicate um, with people, you know, at a level that they can understand and, and you two um, can come to a mutual agreement that really helped me plan in different countries um, and coaching in different countries. You know, it's not always about who knows what and who doesn't. It's about communicating and understanding and coming to a mutual understanding and a goal and I'm always able to communicate that with our guys. Like, it's okay that we don't get along or disagree on the court or things like that happen. But, you know, let's communicate from an understanding level. And then that'll help us push forward to our goal, which is our team goals, faster. Last week on the pod, we had the China Robinson, who admitted very candidly that while she's excited to see outstanding former female athletes or women's basketball coaches get NBA opportunities or division one men's opportunities that she selfishly would like for us to retain our own talent. So for you coach, you've already accomplished so much. What are your goals as a coach? Do you hope to be a head coach? Would the, whether it's a men's or women's program matter if it, you felt like it was the right fit for you? Like, what is your creed as you continue to navigate your coaching career? It's interesting that you said that. And then shout out to China. China is my sis, big sis. Appreciate everything she does for a women's basketball. But the beginning of my journey, it was a decade before that women's basketball said I wasn't a good enough coach. 
I got rejected and rejected and rejected from every level trying to coach. And that was why I started my journey abroad coaching because I couldn't get hired. So it's not always that you can, you know, you, you go where you're wanted, you know, and that that happens sometimes. And I understand, you know, retaining talent or whatever. But for me, I found my home with men's basketball. I absolutely love it. I love my journey. I love my acceptance. I, I love everything that I get to do with the NBA and the off season with the NBA assistant coaches program and mentoring and, and helping former NBA and WNBA players with technology and all the off the court stuff that you need to be a good coach. But, you know, I'm a men's basketball coach and I'm proud to say it, you know, it, I don't have anything against women's basketball at any level. I watch every game still. I'm cheering for all my friends, all my coaches, everything, but I'm happy to say that I'm a men's basketball coach and I don't plan on flopping over. I'm a men's basketball coach. I like that. So what do you hope to achieve as a men's basketball coach? Do you hope to be a head coach on the NCAA level? Is the NBA something that appeals to you? I want to be great, and I don't know which direction I, it, that is yet, you know. And and I think it's a blessing in me being so diverse because, you know, I can be a great college coach or I can go to NBA level, you know, Um this summer getting opportunities, you know, to be on the coaching staff as a guest coach with the Spurs, you know. Everybody wants to be a head coach. You know, I would love the end of my journey, wherever that end or start maybe, maybe to, to really, now that would be something I would want you to celebrate, you know, being a, getting a chance to be a woman leading a program, you know, a Division One men's program, a college program. Yeah. That, for me, that's bigger than the NBA. That's big for me. That would be before the NBA. Yeah. I think just based on our conversation so far and the fact that you are still one of 350 compared to, I want to say we're up to double digits on the women in the NBA now, I agree with you. That would be outstanding. One, I'm about to get you. One of 1,404. Ooh, oh, you mean that's actual positions amongst the 350 institutions? Yeah. Ooh, girl. Well, I'm only one. It ain't, it's, <laughs> the percentage is You're drastically changed. A 24 karat gold unicorn with like the Hope Diamond in the middle of your skull. Like you are very, very, very rare. <laughs> And I and I enjoy it, you know. Like like I said, when I go to other institutions and and chop it up with other coaches, it's like mad. For, it, they like totally respect me, and you know. And and when we're talking, we're really just talking about X's and O's. You know, they might hear something, you know, from my coach, and or you know, my coach shares something like, "Hey, you know, she's good with video and tech, and our scouts like, you know, she'll share stuff with you." And it's just building relationships like that. And it's really all about coaching. And, you know, and I walk by the huddle, you know, at the end of the game when we're um, shaking hands. And a lot of coaches will stop and, and tell me that they really appreciate me. You know, they told their moms and their wives and, you know, their daughters that play now about my story. So that means a lot to me. So that's why I put, you know, the NCAA for my journey um, because of the significance and the numbers um, bigger than you know, jump into the NBA right away, you know. Would I take either or opportunity? I don't know. I'm just trying to be a great assistant coach right now and change around the main men's program. Hmm. I love that. I love that. That's definitely what has been set before you at the moment, and you certainly have an opportunity to make it happen. Coach, as you reflect back, though, because – so many people, and whether it be in my, mine and Bruce's industry, whether it be in coaching, even in nine to fives, but specifically in less traditional career paths, everybody's journey is very uniquely different. And you talked about stepping away because of your family. You've obviously been around the world with your ability to motivate people and help them improve their game. 
But what are maybe the two things that over the course of your journey you have found to be paramount in terms of attaining success? God, I shouldn't curse, but I'm not. Um, I have this one thing. Welcome. Podcast is authentic. Please be authentic. We're good. (laughs) Cursing is encouraged. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for all of the listening. Um, You know, the first thing for me is like, I have, I don't give a shit factor. I think it's so important. Like, I don't really care about what people think about me. And you know, I'm not looking over my shoulder or thinking about, you know, what you feel or how you feel or how the world is reacting. And I've kind of, I think that's helped me along my journey because I just kind of, you know, I would go to this job or do this and, and people would be like, man, you know, you're, you're here one year, here the next year, here that year. And I'm like, and? And, there, you know, it was like that whole idea, like, you know, you got to stay with this assistant coach or a head coach or whatever in this job for five years, you know, to get respect in the industry. And I'm like, you guys, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I'm not going to that because everybody says you're going to that. No, I'm going to be my authentic self and, you know, embrace my journey, good or bad, and do it the way I want to do it. And when you think of it, I don't have what what everyone says like this 15 year experience and this I have a lot of international global youth all of that you know pro level experience internationally but this is my fourth year technically as a college coach in the 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 idea of american sports four years now you're coaching men you're making history that's not supposed to happen like you're supposed to have like this long like list of you played or you went at you coached at this school for eight years or nine years. So I don't, I don't give a shit. I just do what I want to do. Happy. You don't like it. You, that's your own life issues. And the second one, resilience, very resilient. You have to be because if you're not resilient and you know, your resilience, I feel increases your belief in yourself because I wouldn't be here if, I wasn't resilient to all the women's basketball programs that were telling me I wasn't good enough to coach. I was constantly getting rejected. I could have, I could have not, I could have quit and like, you know what? I'm done with coaching. You know, I'm not going to get in. I could have easily, but what I did is like, I just got better. It, It literally armed me with more and it motivated me even more. You know, Kobe talks about, he calls it like the mama mentality. Like, okay you know, and I just got better and better. And it's been important to to my growth because in this journey, being the only woman, (laughs) I have to be resilient. You know, not everyone is going to like my journey. Not everybody's going to respect my journey, but that's really not my problem. Coach, one of the things that, you know, obviously in college, recruiting is such a huge part of things. Have you got any good stories about, you know, recruiting experiences that you've had, good, bad, or indifferent? Oh, guys are funny. They're, they're, it's like talking to my little brother on the phone. I have a, a teen brother that's in high school. So literally it's like talking, talking to them when I'm on the phone with them. You know, we usually start talking about a show, you know, loosen them up. And then, you know, we start talking about family. And honestly, like, Sometimes when I'm on the phone with the recruits, they start talking about me. It's like these young kids, they know their coaches. They Google and like, oh, you played here. Oh, how was that? How was the league? Like they're excited. So the the conversations are fun. You know, when I when I go out to see a kid and, you know, when they come in, they get to do a workout with me. It, it's, it's fun because it's the first time a lot of them are working out with, um, you know, a woman's coach. So it, it, it's cool, you know, and then it's like the veterans are kind of like laughing because they're like, I wonder what they think or, you know, is it going to be easy? And then the veterans will be like, yo, her workouts are no joke. And, it, and it's funny. They'll be like, oh, man, this is this is hard. Like, so it, it's it's really cool. And the, the the young men, they're really nice on the phone. You know, they'll usually have like a sister or aunt, um, or a mom that played, you know, I know LaChina talks about the importance of the WNBA. It's a generation of young men 
that are so used to having aunts and, you know, godmoms and, and, you know, family members that have played in the WNBA and have coached them that, oh, coached by a, a woman. So what? All right. My aunt showed me how to get a jump shot. My mom taught me back. You know, it's just different. And I always say, I think it's more of the outside world, the media. And like, that's just the story that's like, bigger than what it really is when you're like inside that family and, and coaching. It's really, that's really interesting because, you know, basketball is, you know, it is such a family. I mean, I think people who love the sport and respect the sport and respect each other, I've found of all the sports that I've covered in my life, basketball is definitely the most kind of family vibe out of all of them. Yeah, we spend a lot of time with each other. It's a, it's a long, you know, think in college, you go from summer ball, we start with the guys in July, um, do eight weeks in July, we get a little break in August, then we start from September to March, you know, September to April, you keep going, you can go all the way to end of April, get a little break, then you're back to working out again until end of the school year. So it's really a... a year-long relationship with your players and staff so it's fine all right coach so this conversation has been dynamic i love your two factors i think (laughs) at least i have realized that part of the i don't give a shit honestly has to come with age and experience because you have to have had the opportunity to really test your resilience and to grow in your confidence in who you are and what you bring to the table But I love that. And I think that is one that I think wisdom and experience affords you. But when you start getting to that place, girl, it ain't nothing like it. It's like, look, here I am. Here's what I can do. You want it or not. It's the best feeling in the world. It's like it's like people looking at you funny. You're like, and they're like, why are you smiling? You're like, man, I just love me. You like, Mm -hmm. I'm good. You all right? (laughs) Yep. No, that's a fact. All right, so here's how we wrap things up on buckets, boards, and blocks. I'm going to give you three topics. Well, not topics. You're going to give me a topic based on these three subjects, whether it be a bucket, which is your A++ thing that you love about being a female coach in a male-dominated space in D1 basketball or working at Maine or the NBA assistant coaches program, whatever you like. You can give me a block something that you love about those opportunities. You can give me a board, which maybe is something that when you look at it initially, it has maybe not the most positive connotation about it, but it has some silver lining and a redeeming quality. Or you can give me a block and it would be the thing that you want to see get out of here. Like block that. I don't want any more of it in regards to the coaching landscape or the coaches program through the NBA. Whatever topic you want, whatever umbrella you want to use, coach, it's up to you but I just need one, a bucket, a board, or a block. Okay. Uh, let's go with a board. No, let's All go right, with a block. Tell me board go with a block. Let's, no, we're going to go okay, with a block. <laughs> what is your block in regards to your experience as a female coach, one female coach, of how many did you say? A thousand something with some change? Golly. 1,404. <laughs> Only me. <laughs> oh my gosh! What's the block, Coach? Give it to us. Wow. Bad questions <laughs> from bad questions from guys on Monica's podcast. Is, is, is that what that one? No. <laughs> no. Um, the block for me is always you no. Know, you're. You know what, Bruce? You're not the only one that's asked that question. I just I get people all the time on that question. Don't worry. I just they, don't want to get that look. Like, I don't want that look no, from Coach no, Eddie. No. Come on, man. <laughs> No, the the block for me would just be to assume that there's a problem with me coaching mm. men's basketball I, player. Yeah. That's a block for me. Big time block. I agree. I agree with that. And I think it's that's still such an archaic mindset at this point. I love your very simple breakdown. There are plenty of men that coach on the women's side and they knock before they go in the locker room. So what are we talking about? I mean, at a certain age, when you're a mom, you knock before you go in your son's room. Right. You stop changing. You know, knock, knock, mom coming through. 
All right, Coach Eddie and Nisha Curry, folks, if you ain't hip, you need to get hip. Check out what the University of Maine is up to. Follow her on social media. I think that's where I actually first stumbled upon your story, somewhere on Twitter. Somebody had profiled you. And I was like, wait a minute, what's, what's this? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Love it. Coach, thanks so much for your time. Of course, we wish you the best of luck this season with the Bears. And then, of course, and whatever your adventures will take you into an offseason with the assistant coaches program. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Have a great day. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Coach Eddie. I mean, I love that. I appreciate so much um, chopping it up with her. You guys heard we linked up at the Combine is where we met, and we just kind of hit it off ever since. I love that our guests are so candid with us. And, and it, even me, as listening and doing this podcast and talking to different folks, it challenges the way that I see some things as well. So I just love all the gems that she had to drop. And we'll definitely be keeping our eye on the main bears just because, you know, that's our new friend of the podcast. All right, so some of you heard her story for the first time. There's no question that we will hear her name in the future um, through all the different ranks of basketball, uh, whether it be on the collegiate level or the pro level. As always... Thank you to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, my editor, Ben Wolfen. Both of those gentlemen are A1 top-notch guys. Please check out our other weekly Pure Hoops media shows. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday with great guests. Listen, this week, to tee you up for the NBA around the corner, Mike has Chris Broussard of Fox Sports, and they take a deep dive into the career and future of LeBron James. Catch and Shoot drops every Wednesday. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops every Friday. And I'm back every Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. Please rate us, review us, leave some feedback. Um, Definitely subscribe. And until next week, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Oh!